Thank you for joining us on the Volleyball Plus Podcast, episode number two. Our guest today is Pat Ryan. Pat is the owner of the Husky Volleyball Club, one of the most successful clubs in New England. We had an amazing conversation, and I hope that you all enjoy it. I'm from Western Massachusetts. Northampton, Massachusetts is my hometown. That's your hometown. So if you had any Bible um, experience, any Bible like influence when you were a kid, where, where did it all start? So for me, um, I started playing on a high school team. I decided to go out when I was a senior. And the catch to that being that they didn't have a boys volleyball team. So the my junior year in high school, two boys went out for what had been an all-girls volleyball team. And then a friend of mine and I, you know, we'd liked it in gym class since we were uh, in junior high school. So maybe, you know, eighth grade, something like that, decided, hey, you know, why don't we go out for the team? And so I'm a little over six feet tall. And I was the shortest of the four boys who went out for the team my senior year. We had a kid who was a center on the basketball team who was six, six, another kid who was six foot five, six, two and six feet. And so, you know, I started mostly playing on a girls team. Like, like most of the people from Connecticut, I feel like, too, or Massachusetts, too, because men's volleyball in here um, wasn't as big, um, I believe, as it was for girls. And it's still um, not as big as it, it is for girls. Um, so when you went into college, where did you go to college? First? I went to UMass Amherst. UMass Amherst. Yep, and I played for the club volleyball team there. That that had already existed uh, when I had gone to UMass. All right, perfect. And did you did you played in there? You played? I did. I played uh, my first three years in college. I played, and um, my fourth year as a senior, I felt that I needed maybe a little bigger challenge, and I ended up finding a, a USA Volleyball club team that was actually out in Boston area, about two hours from where the campus was. And I started to play with that team then my, my senior year in college. Awesome. And so when did you make that um, um, step into what it is club or what it is coaching? When do you say, you know, I'm tired of playing Bible. I'm tired of doing this. I want to coach now. When when did that happen? I never happen said I'm tired never? of playing volleyball. No, I still <laughs> play a lot now. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I play I, mostly I against people that, half yeah. my age. Um, but I was in my mid-30s, and I can tell you exactly when this happened, is that I went to a UConn women's volleyball game. Okay. And I ran into a friend of mine who I went to high school with and also played club volleyball with at UMass, and he was coaching at Glastonbury High School here in Connecticut for the boys. And he, he just said, hey, I've been coaching here for a couple of years, boys volleyball starting to get going. And I just got approved to have an assistant coach, uh, you know, for this coming spring. And he said, also, I've got a kid who's six foot 10, who's going to be a senior in high school this year. So in my mid thirties, I'm like, Hey, this kid goes off to college for a couple of years and then moves back to Connecticut at six foot 10. This could extend my playing career. He was a middle and I was a setter. So having a six foot 10, middle, you know, I can be a 40, 45 year old guy, you know, playing. He, this kid ended up actually going to UCLA, wow. played volleyball there and stayed in California. So, so that's where the, that was the end. And then I've been on, that was in 1996. And I've been on a series of one year contracts since 1996. <laughs> so I think this is my 22nd, 23rd year uh, for my high school team starting uh, in a couple of weeks. Wow. Talk to me a little bit about your daughter. I know you have a daughter, um, play volleyball. Um, talk to me about her a little bit because I know she was a big, big influence for you to take that decision into uh, one to start a club in Connecticut. Actually, uh, so we started in 99 and she was born in 98 and I did not have any evil plan to say, hey, I'm going to start a volleyball club and try to you know, bring it to prominence while she's growing up. Uh, the six foot 10 kids sister was about 6'1", six, 6'2", six, uh, her mom approached me and said, you know, hey, we've been playing volleyball, you know, in another part of the state. There was only one volleyball club in Connecticut at that time for girls. And that year, all of a sudden, a lot fewer kids from our high school started to go play because it was far away. And so I asked them and she said, why don't you start your own club? And I said, um, I mean, it sounds like a lot of work, you know. 
but I, I ended up starting a club that year. And the worst thing was after the high school season ended, she didn't want to play volleyball anymore. She decided oh. not to play volleyball anymore. So, <laughs> so our first year, I think we started with maybe six teams. I wasn't even going to do boys volleyball in the club and the, the other club team in this part of the state, that coach decided to retire. You know, so then all of a sudden on about two or three weeks notice, I said, okay, I'll do boys too, because I coach boys in high school. You know, I, I need my boys to get better. Wow. That's, that's, that's crazy. So after, you know, the, the big influence that got you into getting this club into starting a club just completely got lost after yeah. you, you, you decided to, to move forward with it. And again, I had no idea if my wife or my wife, my daughter was going to be into volleyball at all. My wife's, you know, just maybe five foot two. So I didn't know what genetics my daughter would get. And she's on the shorter side. She's about five, four, five, five, you know, and, and again, you know, she played all the other sports, softball, soccer, when she grew up. And then one day, strangely enough, on Father's Day, I'm going to guess she was probably maybe seven years old. And she said, hey, do you want to go pass the volleyball around in the yard? I'm like, where is this coming from? I asked my wife. I said, did you tell her to do that? And she said, no, she just wanted to do it. And so we just started peppering out in the yard, you know, every day, you know, uh, just passing the ball back and forth. Wow, that's 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 great. That's amazing. Um, so when you started the club, how many coaches and how many teams did you start with? So you were a coach yourself too at that point, right? I was coaching right? only boys high school. I'd filled in the girls' season a couple times when either somebody got relocated or went on maternity leave and stuff like that. So you know, it, again, the the need was for girls up in this area. Um, and I think our first season we had maybe six teams total. Um, and we, I found a two court gym, and you know, our coaches that year were mostly you know, um, uh, old school volleyball coaches. So we had a woman who had literally just retired from coaching at the University of Hartford, uh, Kathy Franklin. She had been there, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. And then she decided to retire. And then um, we were starting the club. And I think she had been retired about two or three weeks when she called me and she said, hey, you know, I'm looking to coach. I heard you're starting a club. Um, do you need coaches? And I said, uh, yes, he called division one coach with like 20 years experience. I say, yes, you know? And so, you know, that's, that's really how we got the ball running that year. And we've always tried to take all the kids who wanted to come play, you know? So we've always had a no cut policy as far as the club, you know? And then when we started to do our teams that would maybe travel a little bit more, we had to be more selective, but you know, all the kids who want to play during the winter have, have had a team since then. Um, I also think it's very interesting that when you started that club, when you started the club, when you started Huskies, you guys didn't have a gym. You guys didn't have an actual formal location, right? Is that right? So we started that work a, a place called the Aircraft Club, which is Pratt and Whitney's Health Club. It's right across from the UConn Football Stadium in East Hartford, and they had two courts there. And then as we started to get a little bit bigger – you know, just somehow I found additional gymnasiums every time we needed one. So we rented at a private school across town from us here in Windsor, you know, that originally was with two courts. And then we got to four courts with them. They tore down a gym and built a new gym. So we got five courts with them. And there was a, uh, a bubble up in Collin, Connecticut here that has six courts. And we started renting there. So every time we needed more courts, uh, things materialized, you know, up, up to a point, I guess. Um, so when, when you guys started, you know, going around having to have different courts, um, having to, cause I, at one point I remember speaking to you about this, um, where you were telling me that you had to use three courts in one side, your, your club was getting big enough where you had to use this side where it had three courts, then you had to use another side that it had four courts, then you had to use another side that had five other courts, and then what happened? Well, we had uh, all in one very brief period of time, maybe six weeks, we had, we lost a four-court facility because they sold, it was a roller hockey rink, and they sold it to a rock climbing facility, and they were just going to rip out all their sport court and build the big walls. So we lost four courts for the season on, you know, maybe a month's notice. And then over at the prep school we were at, they had a gym where one of their 
students in December threw a baseball off of a sprinkler head that flooded it and destroyed the wood floor. So we and lost that, those that two was courts. How many courts? Two courts two in there. Courts. Wow. And then the bubble was six courts up in Tallinn. We had a unusual snowfall and ice storm, and that collapsed uh, the bubble. And so uh, that had all of our volleyballs in there too, just about uh, when it collapsed. And so that was the year that I said, you know, look, we, you know, we lost 12 courts for all to part of different seasons. And, you know, I started to very actively look that same summer, well, actually probably even before that, probably, you know, late spring of trying to find a place where we could get some of our own courts that we have under control. Because that was a wreck every weekend because, you know, the guy who was supposed to come uh, unlock the gym lost his keys in a snowbank oh, wow. or overslept or there was a double booking and it just, you know, it was becoming very difficult there. So we decided to, well, and we have been looking for years, to, but we decided, to, you know, we really needed to find our own facility. Is this, is this something that happens with like most clubs too? Or is this something that you just have to go through because, you know, you're starting the club um, out of nothing or do you believe that most clubs too around the area um, that came along with you guys were having the same problem or as of right now are having the same problem? I think, you know, finding gyms and getting the location is very difficult. You know, you can only expand to a certain point. Um, I, there are not very many facilities in the Northeast, you know, that are volleyball only, you know, and actually there may not be any, right? The other ones might do it, but you know, our effort has been just to say, hey, this is gonna be a volleyball only facility because really the people that would otherwise want to use our court space are in competition with us at the same time of the year. And so, you know, we need all of our courts all the time. You know, you've been in here every Sunday from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Every court's booked every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night from six o'clock till, you know, 9, 930. Every court's booked, you know, um, most Saturdays from, you know, late November until at least our boys season ends in mid-March, you know, most of the Saturdays are booked. So, you know, there's really not any room for us to do anything with anybody else, you know? Yeah. Um, so moving on into what is, you know, you guys got finally were able to get that, the new place, which is the den right now. It was in 2013. Yeah. So this just recently happened, what, six years ago, right? So we're before 17. 17. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was it like? What was that first time you were like, wow, we have our own place. What's next? What was that? What was that like? What was that experience of sitting down in your office for the first time and saying, all right, our club has finally gotten the place. We can finally move forward a little bit more organized. Yeah, you're making it sound like there was a relief in it, but there was not. You know, there was not a sense of relief because, you know, previous to this, the season would end in May, and then we just, you know, toss the keys back or whatever, and then I'd, I'd have nothing to do until, you know, maybe a couple camps over the summer till November. So we really needed to figure out, you know, how are we going to make enough revenue to pay the rent? Because our rent is due 12 months out of a year. You know, our, our insurance, we have to pay 12 months out of the year. So we were really, you know, looking to add more programs then. I mean, when we... When we built this facility, um, uh, we were negotiating actually for a building right near where we are, the building with the gray building with the red stripe next door to us here. And uh, it was a bank foreclosed on and we could have put eight or nine courts in there. Uh, but there were some chemical spills on the property. And so the bank wasn't going to let it go because they were still responsible for cleaning that up. And so all of a sudden, when that deal fell apart, I started driving through the local, you know, business areas. There's a big corporate area and a lot of warehouses here. And I saw this building and looked in the windows called the landlord. And so this was in very late July. Um, I talked to them a couple times in August. And uh, at that point, you know, we put a plan in place. We needed permission from the town to have this recreational facility in a industrial area. And so they had no August meeting. So we went in, we had to give notice in September we got approved in the beginning of October and we opened at the end of November. So I really ordered all of the sport court flooring that we have. Um, really, the day after we got approved in October, even though there was like a two week comment period where like people could have still objected and they could have said no. But I said, well, I've got to order the stuff. And I was able to follow the tracking of, you know, all the courts and all the equipment online. And really, 
you know, they came in on a, you know, part of the stuff came in on a Friday. The rest of it came in the following Monday. We held an open house with like two or maybe two and a half courts set up on the floor um, the weekend before we started. And then um, we finished the courts on like Monday or Tuesday. We drilled the holes for the nets on Wednesday, painted the lines on Thursday. Um, the courts were first able to be played on that Saturday because the, like the concrete for the holes had to cure, the, the paint for the lines had to cure. So we had some coaches came down, we played a little bit, and then we opened and had our first tryouts on Sunday. You know, so really, you know, we were in, in a very short time frame of maybe five weeks from when we ordered all the sport court and we had to have new bathrooms constructed in here, have the lighting all changed. And, you know, fortunately it came together all right on time. Yeah, because this this building was set up as a warehouse. It is a warehouse. Yeah. It was set up to be something completely different than Yeah, in that whole time, volleyball. there was a whole steel structure still inside the building here that had to be removed. These big cranes had to be taken out and all of that had to go all in the same time frame. And our landlord was awesome. You know, he was he was, you know, very helpful. He, he owns a lot of similar buildings in town for structure, you know, warehouse and stuff like that. So, you know, he had all the contacts and, you know, without without probably his effort and, and them even allowing us to do this because we've been rejected at another couple of buildings because they didn't want, you know, something as dangerous as volleyball, apparently, <laughs> Super you know, dangerous. in their industrial park. <laughs> but they were worried, like the other place I talked to were worried about, you know, these tractor trailer trucks rolling in, you know, and, and you know, kids being around that building, you know, but we're really there when there's nothing going on. Like all of our businesses, when the other businesses in our park here are really closed, you know, which is nice and weekend. So um, when you guys ordered those courts, how long did it take for those courts to get here? You said five weeks or five months for everything? No, weeks, to, five weeks, five weeks. Five weeks so yeah, they're produced, set up they were produced in Utah. Um, and we weren't worried once we had the material that we could get it down because really the um, uh, Connecticut Convention Center, we run a tournament called the Winterfest there. And we set up 24 courts there in really, you know, less than a day and a half, you know, so here just putting in six courts, you know, was a piece of cake for us. You know, really it takes three or four people, maybe an hour to put a court down. And ours took a little bit longer just because of, we have a certain underlayment under the court to make the courts, you know, softer for the kids, you know, knees, backs, you know. Wow, that's, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it's crazy. So, so I was completely wrong thinking that, you know, once they got the warehouse, it was just total relief um, where, hey, we can just now relax a little more. We're going to have our our club being hosted at our own facilities and everything's going to be a little bit easier. But it was complete madness for five weeks trying to get everything done, trying to order all the equipment, trying to set up everything, trying to construct back the bathrooms, all of that. So I think it's, it's amazing that um, you guys got onto that real quick in a matter of five weeks. Yeah, I um, talked to you know other club directors even leading up to that, saying you know how do you run a club with you know as we're getting bigger, you know, sixteen teams, twenty four teams, thirty five. You guys started teams. with six teams, you said. And six. That, now six. how how many teams Between do we have right now? Boys and girls this year, I think we're at forty nine or fifty. Forty nine or fifty. I that think compete. I should know that better. Than that. <laughs> that compete in both. Um, around New England and also nationally, right? Yes, yeah, that's true. And, you know, we started sending our teams off to the junior nationals, you know, I mean, years ago. And, you know, really that that was another experience. I mean, look, running a club that size, you know, it becomes, I guess, easier, you know, once you get used to it. But then adding a building on top of it's a whole other set of complexity of how to operate a building, you know, was that was another thing that all of a sudden we had to start from scratch saying, how do we clean the floors and, you know, keep the place presentable and, you know, what happens when it snows, that kind of thing. Yeah, so so when I was talking to um, Coach Signali last week, um, she also said a couple of things that she learned um, as she got the job. She was talking about how when she wanted to be a coach, she went into coaching at Iona, and she had no idea that she had to deal with so many other things that have nothing to do with what coaching is and what in your eyes it's coaching and people think that all right coaching or running a club is just you know get there and work with the money or get there and tell the kids run or do whatever they need to do um but it's not it's, it has so many other backstage situations that you have to learn and that you have to 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 pursue for that business to run or that team to run um accordingly so what has been your your t 
toughest um, experience? Not how I want to rephrase this. I, I I guess experience. What has been your toughest experience as owning this club? What was that one thing that oh, you said? Wow, that's easy. You probably don't even know this story. So when we first moved in, this was a warehouse that maybe had, you know, 15 people working in it. You know, a couple of people here in the office and a couple out in the warehouse, you know, so maybe, and may have been less than that, may have been, you know, 12 to 15. So there's a big difference in the bathrooms when you're using this for, you know, 12 to 15 people who are here on a weekday, <laughs> excuse me, and we have, you know, four or 500 people out here for a tournament. And so um, when we first started to host very big tournaments here, the sewer lines were, were getting blocked up. And so, yep. So we had, you know, like emergency plumbers coming out and trying to figure out what, what the problem was. And so they kept trying to clear the lines and stuff like that. And then we finally had a guy come in with a camera. And so we're looking in the pipes underneath this and we found things like there was a cell phone under there, like an old flip phone and a lot of construction debris. So sometimes when somebody was doing something, some drywall got down there. So, you know, if, a, if, you know, a couple, 10, 15, 20 people are using the bathrooms during a work day, it would eventually get its way around. But, you know, when we have, like I said, you know, hundreds of people in here on a day, all of a sudden the lines were blocking up to the point where we actually had, for our first couple of tournaments, we had porta potties outside the building <laughs> while we were still trying to figure out what was wrong. Yeah, why yeah, were the pipes, yeah, yeah. why were the pipes yeah. blocking up? So that was extremely stressful and a pretty trying time. And that was where I was like, why am, why are we doing this? You know, <laughs> that was when reality this, like, check oh, just hit you. It was, it was brutal. You know? <laughs> That's interesting. That's very interesting. So moving um, a little bit forward now with, um, with the history of the club and how we got here. Now, what is this, what is the philosophy of this, of this uh, club? What do you, what do you say, what you say is the philosophy that you have for this club in order to get um, business going or for, to tell players, hey, we're here, we exist. This is what we do different than everyone else. What, what, what is that? I'll start like if we talk about what our overarching um, core values are, you know, is that, you know, we recognize that, you know, the tiny majority of these kids are in the running for any sort of collegiate scholarship, right? We, we're here to exist to try to help them achieve their goals. So for some kids, it's to get a little bit better at volleyball. For some others, it's I want to make my JV team, my varsity team. I want to be all conference, all state. You know, I want to make friends. It could be any of those. And so really, you know, our goal is to make sure that the kids are having a good time and we're trying to put them on the path to doing the skills uh, properly. You know, so we're not about winning and losing. You know, we, we're not one of those clubs that puts up, hey, you know, we win you know, X number of tournaments in any weekend, you know, we'll celebrate it when the teams have the victory. But by the same token, it's not something that we just go and say, hey, this is what we're going to advertise. You know, our, our we feel our winning becomes incidental, you know, so if the kids are, you know, well, I'll even back up. If the coaches are training the kids along the way we want them to coach, the kids are going out there and getting exposed to the game. You know, volleyball is a game where kids, and well, players learn by playing, you know, so, you know, we try to use, you know, modern techniques when we do it in our, you know, camps, you know, we try to get a lot of our coaches, you know, working the camps and then hopefully, you know, they're training them along the lines of, you know, what, what we would like them to do. You know, we're not a micromanaging type of club, you know, we try to, you know, give the coaches to freedom to train, you know, within what they're comfortable with. But by the same token, you know, when we talk to the coaches, you know, we say, look, you know, let's try to see that way you can get your kids more contacts, in any one practice, you know, that, you know, give the kids an opportunity to respond. We're going to do, uh, you know, apply solid principles of motor learning, you know, when we're trying to get the kids out there to do it. And, and again, you know, we, we do have a lot of younger coaches in the program, you know, they're very enthusiastic um, and, you know, but, but it does take, you know, just some exposure, you know, so hopefully our coaches, you know, work with other coaches in the program or see what they're doing and it becomes contagious. And that was our big thing when we started the program is if we could have six courts under one roof, we can have coaches more talking to each other, seeing other coaches practices, and then incorporating that into their own practice plans. So um, you just hit a very, very cool point. And it's the fact that you tend to hire um, mostly young coaches, um, which I think is awesome. So what, why is that? Why, why do you lean more into 
um, hiring those young coaches versus hiring maybe more experienced type of thing. I don't want to say older, but more experienced type of thing, coaches. Although we do have some um, in here, but you love and you tend to go the extra mile to hire those younger coaches. Well, my legal department's asked me to mention that we don't discriminate <laughs> to anyone based upon age. You know, I'm in my mid-50s right now. Um, you know, the, the younger coaches are, to be honest, are more interested in doing it. You know, look, coaching's a profession that, you know, takes time and travel. And, and if you have a family, you know, it's difficult to do it. Not that we don't have coaches that, that will do it, but the young coaches, I think, are, are not set in their ways. You know, they're more open to new and current training techniques. And I tell a lot of the coaches, I said, look, a lot of us coach the way that we were coached when we were growing up and, or, you know, as players. And, you know, that has a lot of pluses and minuses to it. And the minuses are going to be that the coaches that trained our coaches, you know, may not have been up on the current techniques, which have been changing rapidly probably over the last 10 years. Wow. That's, uh, and, and, and in my eyes, I think that's, you hit that point, that perfectly point that we're, People are forgetting that volleyball, it's a sport that it's growing, um, sport that changes very rapidly, that it's constantly um, updating itself. It's like I, I, I compare it to like an iPhone or, or, or an, um, a smartphone right now um, where you constantly have to update your phone for it to have the best performance. I think volleyball is at the same point, at the same level where Every single year, every single even month, something different comes up. Something, some rule changes, some new drill gets invented by somebody. Um, a new philosophy rises up. Um, and I think, obviously, me being a young coach myself, um, I believe that younger people have more exposure to those updates. I feel like in my eyes, maybe I'm, may, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm speaking without really um talking to other coaches that are a little bit more um older than I am but I feel like younger kids or younger coaches are 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 more exposed to that because we just got done playing we just got done with either college playing high school playing we just we we were those last generations with the new volleyball with the new rally points or with the new um let serves or with the new those new newer rules that have been changing the game so much that we maybe think, oh, it's just one rule or it's just one update. But I think at the end of the day, it changes a lot of things. It changes philosophy, changes the fact that athletes were not the same as they were or are not the same as they were 2000, um, 20 years ago in the earlier 2000s as they are right now, um, which I think is another thing that I wanted to talk about. What do you think is that big of, a change between those athletes that you got at the very beginning when we when you guys started this um club than the players that we have right now and the athletes that we see around right now is there that much difference or do you think it's just relative to to the time i think we're getting more kids but to touch on one of the things that you said i think you know 20 or 30 years ago when you know i was a younger player the training philosophies and techniques would change every couple of years and they could change to one method and then back to another and they would sort of bounce around with not a lot of necessarily reason to it and i think one thing that we're enjoying in you know society today is the use of data and so anytime new training techniques are coming in the data is going to tell us that the amount of statistics available is staggering you know that even that a, a top collegiate team looks almost you know ignorant of data compared to, you know, the national team or a European pro team. So, so we're proving a lot of things now that it's saying, Hey, this is the best way to do it. And we have a lot of data at all levels that are telling us, you know, we're heading in the right direction. So I think the improvement in training techniques, the way that I trained 30 years ago is totally different than the way we train kids now, you know, and we have more kids like in our club, we have more kids who are playing better volleyball at younger ages now than we ever did. You know, so so I mean, I think to answer your question, you know, I, I, we struggle with getting a lot of the best athletes in this region to play because they all want to, you know, they all start playing soccer when they're little because, you know, soccer doesn't take an excessive amount of skill just to get started and the ball's rolling around on the ground. 
you know, volleyball is a, a little bit more difficult to play. And being as close as we are to UConn women's basketball, you know, all the young tall girls say, hey, I can, I want to play for the UConn team or, you know, maybe not Tennessee, but another top ranked yeah, team yeah. You know, that, that they hate. So, and by the same token, I was having a conversation with Chris Grunwald, who's the UConn women's volleyball coach, who had a conversation with Gino Oriema and nationwide, he had mentioned how volleyballs are starting to harm women's basketball because a lot of the top athletes are heading into the sport of volleyball. And you don't have to go any farther than this year's women's national championships team Stanford to see that they have all these gigantic women, you know, six, they have six, eight opposite, you know, most of them freshmen. Too. Yeah. Freshmen. So <laughs> most yeah. of them just got done with high school. Yeah. Catherine Plummer, I think the outside yeah, was like six, yeah. four, six, five, you know, they moved her to the outside. So, you know, they've got all these super tall kids who are very athletic who are now like, hey, I like volleyball better than than basketball. And those kids make that transition here now. And I tell them, you know, they're going to have some very difficult conversations with their dads who have supported them in basketball, you know, in these travel programs since they were like in fifth grade. And now they've got to tell them when they're in junior high school, dad, I think I like volleyball better, you know. And I'm like, good luck with that. <laughs> you hit, um, I totally agree with that. Um, you hit a very, very um, specific point, And it was the need of exposing our, our sport at those younger ages. Um, do you think that that's one of the um, problems that we have um, here in the region? Um, also because of the fact that what you mentioned, having UConn women's basketball, which is one of the right now the biggest um, national team for women's basketball and even probably globally as a college institution um, and the fact that it's right here in New England that we're competing as a sport with that um, but do you believe that if more schools more middle school programs more elementary programs um, were exposed to volleyball um, do you believe that we could actually make that jump and make volleyball the king sport in this area, just like it is in most regions when we go nationally? Well, volleyball is the number two high school sport for participation for girls in the country, right behind track. So more girls nationwide are playing high school volleyball than girls soccer, girls basketball, any of those. Um, I think what we run into here is that they're really, here if we go back one grade, you know, to middle school, there, there's not much going on in the way of middle middle school sports in Connecticut, you know, and in, in a lot of New England, you know, which is a little bit unusual for other parts of the country. They leave it the town program. So having that spread out to all these different towns, I mean, really, there are only a handful of towns that have any volleyball for kids that age. We would love to do it, you know, but by the same token, you know, we're short on, you know, maybe people that we feel that could teach it. We're short on, you know, gym time in, in order to be able to do it. We'd have to, you know, sacrifice excuse me, some of our other programs to, to try to do it. I, there's a place called the Great Lakes Center, which is a big volleyball center out in the Chicago area. They have 400 kids, uh, you know, who are elementary school that come and are signed up on a monthly basis in their program that come, you know, a couple of days a week to come train out there, you know, which is just, that's a crazy number, you know. So the question is, you know, can we put together a program we could get more kids? I mean, it's been a point of emphasis for us. We're doing better at it, but we go have these gaps in, of, in our calendar where we don't have any court time available to train those younger kids. So it's more on facilities type of thing then. It comes down to can we get facilities in order to, to make this move happen? And they need to be in good geographic areas. So these high school kids, we generally find out kids will travel, you know, 40, 45 minutes in every direction from here without thinking about it too much. You know, but if you're talking about eight, nine, 10 year olds, you know, for a parent, they, they don't want to drive 30 or 40 minutes, you know, where it's we are late at night. Too. Yeah. Well, it would be great for us to do it, you know, where we have a gap in our schedule, which would be after school, you know, and we can do it like on some Saturdays and stuff like that. And, and in the off season from our winter program is when we tend to do this stuff on, you know, Sunday afternoons or Saturday during the day, you know, but, but, you know, from the pure business perspective, it would be great to do it like an after school program. You know, but here in Windsor, you know, we're not in the backyard of some of the really big population centers, you know, for kids that would come do it. So, you know, although we haven't experimented with it yet and we would like to, you know, we may not be in the in the perfect location, you know, to get those little kids to, you know, get over here after school and, you know, come here for an hour, hour and a half. Um, do you think that it's something that we could, um, as 
as as as a region coaches, region club owners, or region commissioners, whatever, we should all go together um, with the ads from every like not town but every region in Connecticut or New England and sit down and say, hey, what can we do as a community, as a viable community in here to expose those kids? Like, uh, can can we as a region help? those schools maybe to to get those um programs going after school um can we help those pe teachers know a little bit more about our sport in order for them to market it in back in their schools I, it's certainly possible a lot of them are invested in other sports you know whether it's basketball soccer that kind of thing you know but but i know that schools that are successful in volleyball high schools are a lot of them are ones that have their high school players go down to middle school or elementary school and host some clinics there as well you know mm -hmm. so so i think that's certainly um an avenue that each high school could work on bolstering their own program by having a town program for it that's very interesting now that we're talking about um region wise it's something another topic that um that i loved asking because it's just a concern that i have coming from here from this region it's the the fact that we live on a very very powerful educational wise region around the whole world we have one like most of the best schools college wise um in the whole entire planet we have harvard yale um brian we have brown we have dartmouth we have uh, so many other schools we even not in this region, but we're close, fairly close to what's Penn State, which is one of the kings of the sport of in collegiate wise, um, has been for, for a while, um, consistently. But we don't have that much representation player wise in those institutions as D one institutions. We do have a lot of representation D three level, D two level, which is awesome. But why don't we have more representation of our girls, of our region, of our people? In those institutions, those bigger institutions, those well-known, globally known institutions, what what do you think it's? Uh... I think there are a couple things that are at work in that. You know, number one is you know our girls do not have the volleyball IQ by the time they, uh, and and the ones with the most physicality by the time they graduate high school. You know, so that you know conversation where all of a sudden the girls uh, at a junior say, hey, I want to go all in for volleyball. You know, and I'm like, well, you're a little late, right? You know, mm -hmm. so, you know, mm -hmm. all the big Division One programs right now are probably, they've filled their recruiting classes. They, they're not looking at any of this year's seniors. They're not looking at any of this year's juniors. And they may only have one spot open for a sophomore. So they're really late in it. Now, many of our girls who are good players don't start playing at that high level until they're a freshman or sophomore in high school. So they're not ready to compete against that super high level of player, even when we go to the junior national championships or the big, you know, qualifiers that have teams from all over the country go there. You know, we're doing a lot better now than we used to. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you, you know, just, you know, from my personal experience and gone with the teams that, you know, my daughter was on and stuff like that is that, you know, when, let's say four or five years ago, you know, those other teams would serve us off the court, right? We could not pass their serves very well. And they would pass all of our serves perfect because we didn't serve that tough. <laughs> and then, you know, as time went on and we played more against that level of competition, now we could get tougher serves. And we could, since we could serve tougher, we could pass better ourselves because our own serve receivers would be able to get uh, tougher serves from our players, which which we weren't even able to, be able to deliver then. So, you know, we, we've improved a lot, I think, you know, on that and we're closing the gap, but the key is getting more kids, you know, playing at a younger age. So we have like, for example, our 15 national team this year is very good. Our 15s have traditionally competed against uh, 16s. And we have a couple girls on that team who are, you know, ninth graders that have, you know, three to five years of playing experience now and at a, at a reasonable level, you know, so we're getting there, you know, but, you know, part of it is getting the kids who are, you know, the best overall general athletes you know interested in volleyball at a younger age definitely and and you mentioned your club a little bit in there um as to um you guys moving forward with what you believe is is, is the problem which is trying to get more athletes um at a younger age to 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 play the sport 
instead of being, you know, trying to play other sports like basketball or something that they might love, and then they just stick to that sport for forever, and then they never come back to volleyball. What else are, are you doing, you, you believe, in your eyes as a, as a club to 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 get those to, to get that to get that um problem taken care of well i don't want to burn out the kids you know so when we're playing against a lot of these other clubs you know we'll go to one or two big tournaments you know that are maybe you know a short flight or a long drive from here and those teams are playing in five or six of those you know our teams typically you know our, our most demanding teams still only practice two days a week You know, those teams could be practicing five or six days a week. Um, you know, we want the kids to continue to, to keep their, you know, studies and school teams the highest priority. A lot of those clubs prohibit their players from playing on any high school team during club volleyball season. So they're like, hey, you're practicing really? with us five days a week and you're not allowed to play basketball, you know. So, so that's not a direction I'm willing to go in as a club. You know, I mean, there may be some kids that do it, but, you know, we're trying to provide the kids more opportunities to train um, uh, outside of our regular club season, you know, so we're trying to get the kids to come to camps, you know, we're trying to get them, you know, more time on the court. Um, we have one-on-one uh, -on -one lessons, like we have a setter school that we run on Sundays during high school season, which is the only thing that they're allowed to do is one-on-one -on -one lessons, you know, so we're trying to improve the level of our setters, you know, I think we've been pretty successful You know, with that, we have one of them who's going to Central Connecticut next year, you know, Jordan, who's and she's been working at it really hard for a long time. So, you know, we're hoping to keep keep that going. You know, I think our position specific training is, you know, something we can help our high school kids with. And I think, you know, getting the kids started younger and then getting them, you know, more hours in the gym, you know, maybe not year round, but, you know, 10 months out of the year, you know, it will, will benefit. Them. Yeah, definitely showing them that. They need to put the extra mile as well, training, um, besides just playing, 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 but also working on their um, skills, individual skills. Um, I think that's great also. So what's next for Husky Juniors? What's next? What's the next ceiling that you have to break? So we have, you know, we have two more years left on our lease in this building here. And I've started talking to my landlord already about you know, we need a couple more courts. So, you know, we already started talking about building another gym, <coughs> excuse me, just up the road from here with sand courts outside of it, you know. So I think even for this part of the country, you know, sand would be a, you know, three-month season really for us. You know, they wouldn't play during high school. So maybe late May to mid-August, you know. So that's a possibility for us. Um, we talk internally in the club about sending our teams maybe to a couple more big qualifiers or at least maybe one more. You know, we don't want to inflict that expense on the parents too much, you know, because, I mean, really, you know, sending a team to, you know, Indianapolis or Colorado or something like that, you know, just for the club aspect, you know, it costs us, you know, depending on the tournament, you know, maybe $2,500 to send that team, you know, so that's the coach's, you know, entry fee, the coach's hotel and airfare, Um And then, you know, so we have to divide that among, you know, 10, 11 players on a roster. But then on top of that, you know, the parents need to put their kids up in hotel rooms and fly them out there. And a lot of times the parents go. So, you know, going to one of these tournaments might cost a family, you know, if, if just one parent goes with the kid, you know, with hotel room. I mean, it cost, could cost them $1,500 to go to that tournament wow. between That's club just seasons. One That's one tournament. That's one season. And, you know. Uh, I became much more aware of that, even, you know, I run the club, you know, when my daughter was traveling, and we would go off to these tournaments, you know, so I became much more sympathetic, although I won't say I wasn't aware, you know, I'm trying to be very um, mindful of the dollars being spent, you know, by our parents and what they need to do to support them. And again, if we were the kind of club in a part of the country where it said, look, you know, all 10 teams on our kids on our number one team, I mean, are going to get some scholarship money, you know, then I wouldn't feel as bad about it. But, you know, right now I know that although we have more players going to play in college than ever, and typically, you know, off of our top one or two teams, you know, at least 80% of the kids are playing in college at some level or another. Um, you know, we feel great about that, that, you know, that's still the exception for kids in this area rather than the rule. Um, in, in the business side of it, in the business side of it, do you think that, It was much, much better for you um, starting off 
well, not really because you weren't really a part a parent before you you got the the club, but but do you think somehow it helped you the fact that once once your girl um once your daughter was playing club, you were able to see club as a parent too and not only as an owner do you think that was easier for you as a business in the business perspective um i'm gonna say i i you know you know a lifetime ago i worked in a corporate environment and so we were always very mindful of overhead so i tried to avoid that i, I tried to make us you know as reasonably priced as possible you know I, we never approached this with it with this as being a business we were mindful of the business concerns but You know, at, at no point has the club been driven by a, you know, hey, you know, we need to make X amount of dollars or anything like that. You know, so so I'm going to say, you know, I don't think my approach has changed very much. You know, I became I became more aware of it and maybe redoubled my efforts to try to, you know, calculate all of the different expenses that are going in for the parents before we pick anything, you know, to, to try to be as as easy on them as I possibly could. Definitely, definitely. Um. I don't want to I don't want to leave um, or end this conversation without asking um, a very important question. It is what is your advice for those young players, young coaches or future club owners like you um, that, are, that are thinking, you know, I want to do volleyball for the rest of my life. I want to own a club. I want to be the next Pat Ryan here in Connecticut or Massachusetts or wherever they are. Um, or want to jump into the, you know, collegiate volleyball level, what's your advice for all of those people around volleyball? Okay. It's, I mean, it's going to vary a lot, right? For the players, you know, my best advice is try to leave the gym every day a little better player than when you came in, right? So, you know, at the end of every practice, if you sit down and say, you know, even as a coach, right, say to your team, hey, did we get better today? You know, because if we didn't get better, we got worse or we wasted time, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, I mean, there's a nicer way to say that with yeah, them, yeah, right? You know, yeah. but, but <laughs> maybe not use those words, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, you know, just say, look, and even if you're, you know, you come in, you're tired today, distracted, whatever, you know, find that one aspect of the game that you want to improve at. You know, if your legs are, don't feel great, you're not jumping well, you know, maybe think about, <coughs> excuse me, you know, I'm going to work on my passing today. I'm going to work on my serving today, you know, for coaches. Look at every single drill you do, every practice, and saying, hey, how could I have improved this, right? We always want to look, if we're asking our players to go in the exercise of continuous improvement, as coaches, we should hold, our, hold ourselves accountable the same way. I, you know, I've been coaching in the high school ranks for, you know, over 20 years right now, and every year, my training philosophy changes a little bit. I've always tried to, even from the very first day, I said, look, if another team gets 100 contacts per player in their practice, How can I get 120 or 125 contacts for them, you know? And so, you know, that's one thing that I always look at is, you know, what are other coaches doing? What can I do to merge their training philosophies into mine and to make us better? For the club directors, you know, I mean, that's a tough one. You know, you have to be in there for the right reasons. You know, I've seen, you know, and I don't think this was bad karma because it's worked for us, but a lot of the equipment that we have here short of the courts are from facilities that have actually not made it. So all of our referee stand was from a facility that went under. All of our net systems down on our odd numbered courts are from another facility, volleyball facility. Oh, that's that interesting. Yeah. And, and again, I didn't know if that was bad karma to do that, you know, <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, it was a, it was a good deal on it. You know, it helped all parties, you know, and they were just sitting in a storage locker, you know, somewhere out there. So, you know, just be, I, you know, The most dangerous time for some clubs is when they're smaller, you know, in like five to 10 teams, because, you know, you can make little mistakes in ordering uniforms and stuff that could be financially ruinous to you, mm -hmm. you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, for me, you know, if I have some, you know, uniforms left over and spares, that's fine. I'll use them next year. You know, I can tell you that, you know, I get saved every one or two years because there's some, you know, little problem in uniforms or, you know, something comes in late, there's a snowstorm and UPS doesn't make it, the printer messes something up. And I've got enough uniforms to say, hey, I can outfit this one or two team at the last minute, you know. So, you know, just even as a club director, I would say, you know, for the most part, you know, don't look at it as money making thing. Be aware of it, but try to make the kids so that that they're achieving their goals, I guess, more than anything. Yeah, try to have a, basically a goal to help those young athletes in order to in order for them to get a scholarship or succeed. 
in life as a person too, as an adult, as a young professional, not only to get that money, is that 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 right? Is that not only to to you know to just sit down and 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 get money off from everyone else? And I think you know for the for the players, coaches, you know, if, if making that team so that the players can recognize how they can function best in the team environment is a big part of what we do in junior volleyball. You know, so some kids get it, some kids don't. You know, uh, the kids are usually very, you know, relatively easy to deal with, especially when they're younger. The parents can get a little bit more difficult to deal with because they try to view everything, you know, in which they should through the lens of their kid. You know, so and also through the lens of the money they're paying too, I believe too, yeah. which is a big difference between high school volleyball, college volleyball, and club volleyball because you don't pay anything in high school, you don't pay anything in college. But it's a big investment for the parents, if you should say, um, to have the kids play at the club level. Yeah. So I think that I, I don't know from my experience, I think that's what gives sometimes a little bit of a gray line. Um, because I feel like most parents just, you know, want the best for their kids, but at the same time, you know, Hey, I'm paying for this. You know, they demand more. I think we all can recognize that, you know, and, you know, I I have some very interesting conversations with parents about the difference between high school and club volleyball, you know, and, and maybe even the same with coaches and, you know, in some ways it's a little counterintuitive. So I get some parents who say, well, you know, in high school, you know, they feel like, you know, they will sit back and let the coach do, you know, whatever they they need to do, which they should. They're giving their kids to the coach. But by the same token, you know, the high school coaches should not be any less accountable than the uh, club coaches are. You know, I mean, they're paying us, but at their high schools, they're paying taxes the mm-hmm. same way, you know, and a lot of schools charge participation fees, you know. So I think getting the kid to recognize, you know, what's the best way I can contribute on the team I'm on, you know, is, is going to set them up for, you know, maybe a, a little future success in life. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for accepting my invitation um, for the podcast. Um, there was definitely a great conversation and I look forward for doing this on another time again. Okay. Hopefully. I'm always available. <laughs> thank you very much.